Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, what's going on, guys? Got Will Haskett on the podcast this week. He is, of course, a play-by-play announcer for SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio, and he calls all kinds of action throughout the year. PGA Tour Live as well, some ESPN Plus coverage of the LPGA. This guy knows his stuff. He loves the game, loves the numbers of the game, the stats, the science. The Science of Golf is actually a book he just published recently, a few months back. So check that out when you can. But Will Haskett here on Beyond the Clubhouse. All right, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend, Will Haskett, my next guest here on the podcast. Will, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, can't complain. Start of a new year. Uh, golf is good, and uh, I get kicked off this week, so I'm I'm excited for a big 2023, so I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and we'll get into that. Of course, you'll be uh, on the play-by-play announcing for Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. You just wrote a book, of course, The Science of Golf. And for everybody else to understand, too, you're on ESPN Plus during the week of the PGA Championship, LPGA coverage, and then also some PGA Tour Live this year as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, second year with the full four streams on PGA Tour Live. So they had to find some people to fill in all those (laughs) chairs. So I drag over and, and do a little bit of TV work when it's not radio covering the tour, but yeah, I guess I'm a golf guy. So people in your audience that are obviously aware of that. Uh, but I grew up calling, actually I grew up, but, but in this business, I've called a lot of different sports and golf's kind of my thing now. So I say like 90, 95% of my portfolio. Although if you're ever just flipping through the channels nowadays and you're randomly on like ESPN two at 11 o'clock at night, you might catch ax throwing or knife throwing. And that's me. So I could probably right. get more texts, Garrett, about that randomness than I do. <laughs> hey, what are your thoughts this week on who might win on the PGA Tour? Because I think that that, uh, that lane me makes a lot of sense to people. But every now and then I have to dust off my play-by-play chops and go try a, a different sport. But uh, golf has been very kind to me my entire life. And it seems about close to 10 years right now play-by-play for Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, right? That is correct. In fact, this week is my 10-year anniversary. My first tournament on PGA Tour Radio was in Palm Springs, now the American Express, uh, working the (laughs) live coverage this week for PGA Tour Radio. So yeah, this is officially my 10-year anniversary of my first gig out there. You and I spent some time in Palm Springs one of those years. I felt like I was making the annual pilgrimage out there, and that was back when we were playing a completely different configuration of courses before we came back across the street to the stadium course. And it's a little different tournament now than we were playing uh, Nicholas Private and Palmer Private, and I mean, it was an absolute birdie fest now. There's uh, still plenty of birdies to be made because the weather's always perfect, but a uh, little bit more, I would say, um, stress on these golfers, especially to play the stadium twice in one week. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, you're talking about this tournament, and I think about East Coast guys, right, that have to transition to some of these greens as you get ready for, I should say, not just this just tournament, but the West Coast Swing, the POA greens, the different types of greens. Yeah. And I remember covering Harris English in 2012, 2013, 2014. For him, that was a transition, getting used to these types of greens. And he was a rookie in 2012. And so I'll ask you, like, what couple rookies are really catching your eye at the moment here in this crop on the PGA Tour? Yeah, I kind of put them into two buckets. I think it's yeah. the, the sort of newcomer <laughs> bucket. So 
rookies from last season who I think showed us some really good progress late last season. And then coupled with the handful of rookies who have already been spectacular this year. So, uh, you know, we saw Hayden Buckley last week. Um, I remember having a conversation with Hayden Buckley when he was three or four tournaments into his PGA tour career. And he and Brian Mahoney, his caddy were trying to kind of map out their progress and their plan. And they just really wanted to have good priority rankings last year. And they started off well enough in that fall part of the season to kind of give themselves a little bit of a cushion to play in tournaments and find their footing. And I said to them, look, I really think that the Sony open is going to be a great tournament for you guys. And lo and behold, you know, top 20 last year, and then probably could have won it this year if it not weren't for the heroics of Siwoo Kim with that chip in on 17. And, but he's one of those guys that made that sort of leap in the second half of last year. And it's very easy, I think, for us to overlook some of the guys that, you know, maybe don't win, maybe aren't in our consciousness, you know, because they're not a top five guy at a big field or something like that. But the second half of last year for Hayden Buckley, I mean, he was almost a shot better in the second half of 2022 than he was the first half of 22, like nearly a full shot strokes gain total. So he went from a negative player below average on the PGA tour to a well above average PGA tour player in the second half of 2022. So when you see those guys, that are kind of getting their feet underneath them. And maybe it's a little bit momentum. Maybe he's just in a really good form streak right now. Like those are the guys that kind of catch my attention. So guys that had really good late seasons last year, like a, Taylor Moore really turned it on late last year. Robbie Shelton's now a rookie on the PGA Tour again. It's kind of a second time, not a rookie. I'm saying he's back on the PGA Tour, right? So he kind of fits that same bucket of guys who have a little bit of experience and now maybe with that experience and then getting back to the PGA Tour. But you see all these guys that took their game to another level last year. So I throw a couple of those guys in there. And then I think the big name to watch out of this current rookie class, and this isn't me exactly breaking any news here, is what Taylor Montgomery <laughs> has done. I mean, Montgomery is kind of on this. Uh, he's actually ahead of schedule in many respects of what we saw from Cameron Young a, a year ago. And I guess Cameron Young fits that same mold too, right? I mean, he was a rookie on the PGA tour last year and we forget that because of how good yeah. he was without winning. I mean, Moore's actually ahead of pace from where Cameron Young was a year ago. I mean, at the turn of the calendar year last year, Cameron Young was in his 50 year, 50 round moving average was like an average player. He was like a, you know, plus or minus zero strokes gain total guy. And then just went on this absolute tear heater and by the middle of the year is playing golf at an elite level and getting into elite tournaments by doing that. And so Taylor Montgomery has got two skills that I think really work well on the PGA tour. He hits it a mile and he can putt it better than re really anybody right yeah, now. Eighth in shots so, game putting yeah. eighth right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's the guy that maybe is your Cameron young of this year, just because he's done so much so early that, I mean, he's top 20 in FedEx cup points without winning. So his path the rest of this year is significantly easier than the path of most rookies on the PGA Tour. He's not going to have to worry about priority ranking. He's probably going to get into designated events because of how high his FedEx Cup number is right now, despite the fact that he's a rookie on the PGA Tour. So now he can go play golf. Um, and I think he wins at some point in time. And who knows how big the tournament will be that he wins. Well, it's interesting you mentioned designated events because I think about your guy Cameron Young that you mentioned. He's played so well in designated events from last year. So now yeah. he's going, the, the schedule fits him even better. Second place is at a lot of these places. When you think about, let's see, I'm looking at my numbers here, but he was what second at Wells and that's now elevated. He was T3 yep. at, at the RBC heritage T3 at the PGA second at the open. He was right. even T13 at Bay Hill, which is now elevated too. So it's like the table's really set for a player like Cameron Young to have another amazing year as well. Right. And to piggyback back on the Taylor Montgomery comment, here were Cameron Young's results last year to begin his rookie season. Started in the fall, missed the cut in Napa, 
could have won at Sanderson Farms, finishes T2 there, but then goes miscut T29, miscut T40 at the American Express, T20, T26. So he doesn't finish inside the top 20 again until you know, he probably would have beat everybody in the world if it weren't for Joaquin Neiman playing that week at the Genesis Invitational. And that yep. sort of sparked this thing. So here it is. Here's a guy, a PJ Tour rookie last year, but because he had that T2 early in the year, high priority ranking, high FedEx Cup standing, he gets into elevated, designated, whatever we were calling it back then. I don't like this term, Garrett. I mean, I love the, <laughs> I love all the tournaments on the PGA Tour. Some are bigger than others. Some have bigger purses. They always have. And rookies and good play will get you into whatever the events are. I think we're make, making way too big of a deal out of well, what, how are guys going to get into tournaments? If you play well, you're going to get into tournaments. And Taylor Montgomery's on that same path. And I will argue, and I think it's easy, it's in the numbers, that he has played better golf to begin his rookie campaign than Cameron Young played to begin his rookie campaign last year. So why not him taking that next step and it could be a race to see who wins both of them. I like both of them this week. So, I mean, maybe one of them wins this week and gets that monkey off their back. Who knows? Yeah. Well, well, to your point, Taylor Montgomery has been a lot more consistent than Cameron Young was early on, kind of, so to speak. Um, but even like if you look at the West Coast swing, I mean, how well did Cameron Young play in his four West Coast swing? T40 at American Express last year, T20 at Farmers, T26 at Phoenix, and then that T2 that you referred to at right. Riviera. I mean, that was these the are not. Start. Yeah, it was a jump start, but still he he top 20 at a hard course at Torrey Pines, top 26 at Phoenix. Like this is really good stuff for for some of these guys in their memory bank. I think of another guy like Sahith Thigala, who's been playing well, kind of a second year coming on. And, and, and how is he going to adjust to this year with these elevated events? Yeah, he, he's a perfect example of somebody. I mean, I think we the thing is Cameron Young tickled our fancy in big tournaments. So there are more eyeballs on him, right? I mean, but he missed the cut at the players. He missed the cut at the masters when he got into it, you know, with his ranking and everything. And then went on that heater sort of run where it was hard to ignore him. And he finishes top three. It seems like every sort of week, but it was a huge up and down. I mean, he missed back-to-back cuts at the U S open and the Scottish open last year. So it wasn't like he was putting together this each and every week. He's a contender. It was like, no, when he had his game, it got really stinking good. And that was kind of what we saw out of Sahith last year is that, he flirted with winning a couple of times, had, I think, a bad break, even though people say, well, if you hit it over there, it, it shouldn't matter. A bad break at the WM Travis. Phoenix Open. And then, no, I, I think at the, I think he had Phoenix more in the bag than even Travelers. Like, oh. Travelers, it's a bad mistake to probably hit it at that bunker, and you can go back and forth about the shot and then trying to play out of it. But he hit a worm burner off the tee that, for most players, rolls the correct direction and doesn't roll down into the water on 17 in Phoenix in that final round. And then I think he's a viable option to maybe at the very least get into the playoff with Scheffler and Cantlay last year. And maybe that changes the entire trajectory of how we're talking about the gala. But again, he had moments. And when he had his moments, he was so available to us because it was big fields, big times, and he had a chance to win. And while there are other guys, maybe like a Davis Riley comes to mind, who maybe had more consistent performances last year, lots of top tens, but really wasn't the guy that you were paying attention to at 530 in the afternoon on a Sunday with the whole world watching on TV. Figala just made us see like, okay, what is possible here? And the thing I love about him is I wouldn't say he's an overly aggressive player. His swing makes it seem like he's aggressive, but he doesn't have much fear. And I'm really curious to see in this year what he does from a not necessarily course management, but how he sort of structures some of his tournaments, what happens when he doesn't have his A game, when he does have his A game, 
Does he throttle it back maybe a little bit? Because I'm not saying he's a go for broke guy. He's way smarter than that. These young guys are way smarter than that for the most part across the board. But I, I think that there could be more consistency in his results in his game if he was a bit more conservative in parts in terms of how he attacks. But we love that about him, right? So like we want to see him swashbuckle his way to a win at some point in time this year because, gosh, he's so easy to root for. Yeah, and I remember talking to him at the Open, and he said last summer he was working on widening his stance a little bit more with his putter, and you saw some pretty big gains in putting average. He went from, where did he go, from 28, excuse me, from 84th to 28th uh, last season to this season, so in that stretch, making some pretty big gains. But what's funny is when I look at his overall numbers, at least from this year so far, Will, they haven't, like, jumped out at me. I'm looking at 37th, excuse me, 137th shots gain off the tee, 73rd shots gain approach to the green. Yep. Um, 67th and putting, uh, T to green 98th. So he's kind of like hanging back there. How is this guy making moves is my, is my question. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you see how big he is. You see how big his swing is. He's not long. I mean, everybody's long, right. By mortal standards, but his off the T numbers, it's not as if he's moving it out there in the top quarter of, of guys in terms of distance off the tee. And he's not a super accurate guy either. So it's going to come and go week in and week out. His ball striking is pretty good. I think his approach game can carry him at some point in time. I think it comes from everything inside of that. He's a really good creative um, feel player, chipper, and his putting numbers are like this. I mean, from week to week last year on the PGA Tour, I mean, really good weeks with the putter, and then I'm talking really bad weeks with the putter as well for Saad. So I think that it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be a combination. You know, there are certain players that you expect to be at the top of leaderboards week in and week out. He could be a top 10 player. He could have enough results at some point in time, the right set of circumstances to be a top 10, top 25 player in the world, maybe even make a couple of national teams. I think he's that good, but I think his good is going to come in spurts. It's not going to come in continued excellence where you have like a JT like season or a ROM type season. And those are obviously big names to compare anybody to, but there are some guys (laughs) that are just all around consistent. And then there are some guys that, Wow, their A game takes them to a different level. You know, what I'm t- it's it's sort of like high ceiling floor to steal a, a, a sports term. You know, a lot of the top guys in the game right now have really, really high floors and also high ceilings. I think there's a little bit more, there are more rooms in the Sahithi Gala house, if that makes sense. Like the floor is a little bit farther away from the ceiling of the house, and we could slide in there sometimes. But I think the highest of highs that he could eventually reach are just as high as some of the best in the game. Well, you mentioned a couple of them right there, JT and Rom. Uh, for for a player like JT, what are you expecting out of him this year? I expect the same thing. I expect a top five iron player in the world. Um, I expect him to be tenacious, work hard, and it really just comes down to the putter. You know, he, he went back and found an old trusty Scotty that he you know hadn't played with since like what a, a junior, which is a really fun, cute equipment story, but then also makes you kind of scratch your head and be like, man, with all this technology out here and all of the work that he's done the last couple of years to to kind of stick with it. um, You know, he's still maybe searching for whatever that feel is, whether it's the eye, the line, whatever that touch might be. Um, We, he needs to putt and he's, I don't want to say he's in the category of say a Colin Morikawa. When we throw out all the numbers about if he's above average, he wins golf tournaments, which is kind of a ridiculous thing to think about in his young career. But it's kind of getting to that point. I mean, there's just too many eight-footers or the really bad four-footer that's missed in some spectacular rounds that we would have seen made more often than not, say, four or five years ago for JT. So it really comes down to the putter. Um, but I I like the reset he had mentally last year. He talked about it a lot in that offseason about finding joy in the game and, and really 
committing to the positives of his game. And now this year he's talked a little bit more about really honing in on his practice and making his practice more dedicated, maybe longer at times, shorter at times, but instead of just beating balls and figuring it out, like really conditioning himself to be a better practicer. So I expect him to be the top 10 player in the world that he is. I expect him to go to, I expect him to go to Italy and win three points at the end of this year. And he's probably on the short list of guys that are easiest to bet on to win a major championship in this year, because his superpower will always be his approach game and his iron play. And he's so good. He's so good with that. And he's, that means he's always viable. You're always viable when you're that good with your irons. And it's been for a long enough period of time now that you can bank on that for another 10 years, the way that he hits his irons. Who else do you want to bank on to really contend or have a, a good shot at a major this year? I thought it was absolutely perfect at the beginning of the year that we had the century tournament of champions come down to two guys that admittedly said that last year was a disappointment. And they're the two guys that are kind of there at the end, duking it out. And while it was a disappointing sort of collapse from Colin Morikawa, it's a fitting that John Rahm is the one that passes him. So I'm, I've been a broken record on that before the tournament. And since then, I think that those are the two guys that just kind of in the cycle of golf made a whole lot of sense for guys to be, you know, world beaters. I mean, Rom should have multiple majors when it's all said and done. And it's more, the question more is like, how big is that number? Um, he's perfectly built for us opens. He, he's, he's built for the challenge that a lot of major golf courses have in front of them. I've seen a lot of people throw Morikawa's name out as somebody they think will contend for multiple masters. I'm not sure how much I'm diving into that particular event being him. Obviously it is a second shot golf course, but uh, I expect both of those guys to sort of headline my list of of guys to be at the top. And I know Colin's already got two and any wonder, you know, where's that quota at? Has he already hit too many at this young stage of his career? But he fits in the same mold as JT. And if he and JJ can figure out the greens for one week, I mean, they figured him out for three days in Kapalua. And if they had just figured him out for a fourth day, he would have won by six. Um, so we can see what that, what is we're capable of seeing out of him. So yeah, those are the two guys that at the beginning of the year are my most likely to win majors. Cause I just think you can't hold them down like we did last year when they just didn't perform to their standards, especially in big tournaments. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So, so are, are you worried about the greens at Augusta for a player like Morikawa? Like what's, what do you think would really hold him back at Augusta? Yeah. I mean, it's a second shot golf course. It's easy to say now, you know, approach shot matters <laughs> because of where you place the ball and everything, but then you've got to get that putt in the hole and you're not going to hit 18 greens, which means you're going to test yourself with long lag putts. You're going to have slippery ones from three to four feet. And, and so I'm not saying he's not going to contend. I think he, again, could ball strike his way to being in contention multiple times in that tournament, but he's going to have to have a really good putting week. And those greens are as much about experience as they are about putting talent. So, you know, Jordan Spieth conquered them early. Why? Because he's a generational short game talent, right? Like his eyes were already gifted enough to figure out how to deal with those greens. Like, why do you see some of these past champions come back in their fifties and still have viable weeks of the masters? It's because they've learned so much about not only where to hit it, but then how to put it when they're there hitting it. So I think there's still a lot of learning curve there for someone like Colin Morikawa to, to win on that golf course. And so, yeah, when you factor that in, I think it is, I think it's, of the four majors, depending on where they're played, I think it's the one that also has as much putting influence in guys being successful. And so it's easy for me to say the other three are going to be better fits for Colin Morikawa, you know, when you're dealing with those speedy greens at Augusta. Yeah. Well, and when I think about other top players, guys who've even made recent moves, Tony Finau, a guy that I'm I'm really high on so far, uh, shots gained. He's second 
in total. I know it's a big one for you. Shots gained total. He's second right now on the PGA yep. tour. He's seventh in shots gained putting, which is great. He's even admitted on my podcast. He knows he's a hot and cold putter. He knows that. Um, yeah. But what do you see out of Tony Fina for a year like this? You know, his stretch last year, winning back to back, then winning again in the fall. Um, he was so good for that stretch. And it's unfair to any player to ask, like, what is, what's their peak, right? I think it's we could have fair fun or some people I say unfun conversations about was 2015 or 17 Jordan Spieth, the best Jordan Spieth we'll ever see. Have we seen the best of any of the guys that are in the top 10 right now? Like golf is so hard to maintain it at the level, which is why Rory's risen to a level of number one player in the world three or four times now in his career where he's head and shoulders above the rest. Like he was in many respects last year, even though he didn't win a major. But the way that he played from beginning of the year to the end was just he was a different he was a different level of player than even some of the guys around him. Um, I wonder, like, what is that ceiling like for Tony Finau? I still think he has untapped potential in the fact that he doesn't go after the ball like he does. He doesn't swing hard. Right. You know, I mean, it'd be <laughs> amazing to just see him. And he tra- he thought about it a little bit when Bryson was bulking up and. You know, he teased a couple of videos and even like kind of was working on it at Muirfield Village, like hitting some bombs and practice rounds, kind of seeing what might happen. And oh man, I just I'd be really curious to see what would happen if he committed to a, a little stretch of golf where he just gave it an extra five percent off the tee and just saw what that did to his ability to hit, you know, closer wedges and what that did to scoring and that sort of stuff. Because the current version of Tony Finau may have played his best golf late last year. I mean, that's a ridiculous run that he went on. He lost to what a handful of guys over the stretch of two months. Um, so I expect that level to be close to that this year because of the comfort that he's learned from that. But I still wonder if there's, if there's one more gear, because if there's one more gear, then he could probably go out and get himself that major. Yes. And he told me he's hungry. He's hungry for it. He's, that's really what he's knocking on the door of at this moment in time. I do want to get onto your book, though, The Science of Golf. Ooh, um, what would you like people to take away? Golf fans. There it is right there. Science of Golf. <laughs> uh, what would you like golf fans to really take away from from what you put together there? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it when I started when I was tasked with writing it. So I was approached to write the book. And you mentioned 10 years that I've been doing PGA Tour Radio. And in that time, I've just learned more and more about the sport that I've been around and played and competed in my entire life, but really in certain areas. Like I can talk strokes gained all day long. I can talk, you know, agronomy because I've got a lot of friends that are in that, you know, all day long. But when it came to the actual sort of physics of it, you know, how the body works, how the ball interacts with the club face, things that we've sort of learned, it's been sort of a journey to understand that. And so I know a lot of people who were probably way more qualified and better at writing this book than I was, but I was the the lucky bloke who got tasked with writing it for this particular editor. And um, I just kind of went on the same journey that I went on to try and learn this stuff in, the, in, in many respects in some of the basic ways. So I think anybody that's a golfer or a fan of the sport out there, whether you play and you just want to understand like why the ball is doing what it does or how the game has grown to the way that you play it right now, or if you're a huge fan of all of the guys we just talked about and you want to understand the various ways and techniques and things that they're doing to get better and better, I kind of tried to cover all the bases in it. So there's a chapter on psychology. There's a chapter, there's multiple chapters on equipment how the body moves. There's a chapter on fitness and strength training because speed has become so important in the game of golf. And so I, I, I tell a lot of the stuff. It's, it's a very, it's not a textbook Garrett, but it 
it's a very tactical, technical book. It's hard to n- not to write the science of golf and not have it be technical. But I tried to have every single chapter lead with some sort of anecdote, whether it's Colin Morikawa winning the PGA Championship and the Open Championship, Phil winning a PGA at nearly 51 years of age, Bryson DeChambeau's quest for speed, like all of this sort of stuff. I try and tie it in. So if you're just a fan of watching golf, maybe it helps you understand it a little bit more. So I appreciate you letting me plug it a little bit. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. And, and I like to think of it as, as kind of one of those books you can pick up and read a chapter, put it back down, come back and read another chapter and just have it as a reference point. If you have a question about any aspect technically of the game moving forward. Hmm. Well, you mentioned speed real quick about Bryson. Of course, Phil, you, you were very clear about how Phil pursued speed as he was approaching his 50th birthday. So what would be a takeaway uh, when it comes to speed from your book in, in the research and the interviews you put into that? Speed will never be a problem. Like the more you can <laughs> okay. go and chase speed. And, and I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of purists in the sport will roll their eyes like it's what's hurting the game. It's like, no, like even if we rolled everything back and you were playing with hickories and everything like that, the faster you can swing the golf club, the easier the game is going to become. I'm not saying swing out of your shoes, but if you can swing it faster, that means that your 80% shot, not your 100% shot, but your 80% shot is faster than your previous 80% shot, which means you have more control over a club that now is going to hit the ball a little bit farther. And it's proven, data now has proven that the farther you get the ball to the hole or closer you get the ball to the hole, the easier it is to score. So the farther you can move it, the easier the game is. Bryson understood that. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau in college was a guy that was trying to hit every fairway. He thought that accuracy was his number one key to success and then completely reinvented himself. And he's an enigmatic, you know, interesting character, no doubt about it, but you can't fault the guy for selling out in every way that he could physically, mentally, emotionally to get himself to that place where he was the longest player in the game because he recognized that advantage. So it's not just the driver. It's the speed, the power, hitting shots out of the rough with more speed is helpful. Being able to, you know, have more control over feel shots because the body just moves faster. And the other thing about it too, is there's many different ways to achieve speed. It can simply be Increasing your flexibility so your hand path goes a little bit farther. That generates more speed. It could be maybe you get into the gym and you get your legs a little bit stronger and your core a little bit stronger so you can generate from there. It, it could fast be twitch, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, fast switch muscles. It could be understanding the kinematic sequence and how your body is moving because maybe you're swinging it at the speed you are right now, but because your body is not in sync, you're losing a couple of miles an hour in transition because your hip sway is coming too late from where your arms are. So just understanding that choreography could end up gaining you two or three extra yards. So it's not just about bulking up and turning into a, a bodybuilder or anything like that. There's multiple pathways to get you to speed, but it's it's universally accepted now that the more speed you can generate, the easier the game is to play at all levels. Um, and we can sit, have another podcast about whether that's good or not for the professional game that we watch. But if you're a 20 handicapper and you can add two miles an hour worth of club head speed tomorrow and not lose everything that was going on in your golf swing, it just becomes a natural build for you. It, you're you're going to score better. It, it just, it's going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. So check it out. Science of golf um, available on Amazon. You mentioned, I do want to also, where else is available? Can we find it? Pretty much on all major online retailers. Um, don't think I'm going to run into it in an airport anytime soon. So yeah, it's uh, okay. yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, I've seen it on Target's website. So um, it's it's available in pretty much every big box online retailer at this point in time. And as we get into where we are now, in the midst of the West Coast Swing, great time of the year. 
you've walked these fairways of these courses so many different times. For you, what's what's a view for fans at home? What is a view that's really unique during the West Coast swing, or that's really kind of stands out to you? I know for me, looking at 17 green at Torrey South, looking from behind the green, you yeah. can look past it to number three. You can see three green down in the cliff way in the distance. And so you have like so much going on, foreground, background kind of thing. So for you, having walked the fairways, what's a view on the West Coast swing that stands out? Yeah, you know what? Full admission here. I've never worked Pebble. I'm I'm working it for the first time this year. So it took me 10 years to finally get to Pebble. So I feel Love like it. I might change my answer a little bit here, whether it's seven or back on top of eight looking down or looking up on it. I don't know. I don't know which one it's gonna be. It's gonna be the new eight, too. I've you know, I've never saw the old eight, and I get to go see the new eighth hole uh, coming up this year with the new green complex. Um, I love Tori. Tori takes your breath away. Um, especially with the redo of the North course. Now there's just so many views across and down. And I actually think the North course has some even better views when you get, I can't remember which one the par three is on the back nine back there. And then it comes up and there's, there's a par four right before it that comes down a little Valley of trees with the ocean off in the distance. And if you get a little Marine layer coming in a little fog, it's just, it's an absolutely spectacular, take your breath away type of course. So, um, those are the best. No views better than Kapalua and Maui, but I guess that's not part of the West Coast swing. That's the West, West, West Coast. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll say to this point in time, Tori has certainly been the best because I've seen it a couple of times and it's just an absolutely stunning piece of property. Great stuff. Will Haskett, play-by-play announcer uh, for SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio, and you can hear him all year long on many different platforms as well, PGA Tour Live, ESPN Plus, and LPGA coverage. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for the time. All right, good. All right, my thanks to Will Haskin for jumping on the pod. I really like some of his thoughts on some of these players to look out for. Of course, major champion possibilities. Will we see Morikawa? Will we see John Rahm? I like how he has those two as their kind of 1A, 1B players to look out for when it comes to majors. JT, some good thoughts on him. And also the younger players, too. I mean, Will Haskett's always been really good about younger players, who to look out for, rookies to watch, and good thoughts on Taylor Montgomery. And this guy walks the fairways. He knows these players. He knows these guys, their tendencies. So it's good to get some thoughts from, from Will here on the podcast. So hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll catch up soon here on Beyond the Clubhouse. <laughs>